it was like who am i supposed to ask for help everyone's telling me to ask each other no one was actually helping no one was actually listening donald to morton's everything was closed i would literally just stay outside and sit downstairs where the where the like drive through is and hope no one catches me to do assignments sometimes and that was also one of the hardest parts of my life because again in third year i had six courses and I had clinicals and had so many other things and nobody knew that is what i was feeling like like i'm like okay i'm just going to sit and absolutely do nothing cuz i don't want to do anything anymore i'm so burnt out from work i'm so burnt out from my life i'm so burnt out from everything and the crazy thing is in my first year i heard about this nursing student that finished her full 3 years of nursing while she was living in a car and i thought it was so unbelievable and who knew that 2 years later i was going to be living like in a homeless shelter while i'm doing nursing back everyone to another episode of how they're doing it. Before we jump into the actual episode and introduction for our guest, I actually wanted to touch up on a topic beforehand because I thought it was very relevant to today's episode. And that topic is the idea of social media and the fact that social media is fake. That's something that we always talk about. We all know that that's the case. We recognize that everyone uses social media to highlight the best parts of their lives. Yet Even though we know this, we continue to compare ourselves to whatever we see on social media. But then we also say that people should spend more time highlighting some of the challenges that they go through throughout their life. And there are amazing people that do that. They tell us about the challenges that they've went through, some of the difficult experiences that they've had that no one could ever imagine. Yet even when they do that, we still view their story as a success story, which it is to some extent, but we also keep thinking that after they've overcome whatever it is they had to overcome, their life was great moving forward. It was a happily ever after. But deep down, we all know that that's not the case and they will continue to live with some challenges. They will continue to experience very similar challenges to the ones that we are going through. And so the reason I bring this up is because today's guest is someone who I could have possibly crossed paths with on campus at university without even knowing it. And that's crazy to me because if I crossed paths with someone on campus, I would never imagine that they have gone through what this individual has gone through. And the only way I found out about it was through a news article when they graduated. And so this episode really highlights that whole idea of you are never going to know what someone is going through, not even your family members, not even your close friends. And the only way to find out is if they chose to share it with you. And I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to talk to this particular person because they chose to share their story and I hope that this story opens other people's eyes and minds to really the truth behind what goes on behind the scenes in different people's lives and this is one of those stories. And so, today's guest is Humaira Ahmed who is an emergency nurse, an entrepreneur, the founder of McMaster Hope for Hearts and the founder of Salam Girls. And today we get to learn about how Humaira did it. So why don't we start from the very beginning? Tell me about what your childhood looked like. Where did you grow up? Who did you grow up around and that kind of stuff? Yeah, so my childhood is one of those things that I haven't really touched up on that much, but it's always been a hidden mystery to a lot of people. People I grew up 
really good grades. I grew up um, from a bear, like immigrant family. I had three younger sisters. I was the oldest of the of the three of the four, I guess, from my four siblings total, including me. And um, from there, I just had my mom, my dad. We lived in an apartment in Hamilton, and I grew up like that for 19 years of my life. And as a child, for me, I would say that my childhood ended when I was 10 years old when I started my first job. So I feel like everything up until 10 years old was just a blur. And everything after that, I remember very, very clearly, very distinctly, as if it was just yesterday. But growing up, I was um, very bold. People used to call me bossy. People used to say, oh, this girl, she's she she's just like, I used to sell bubbles. You know, I used to go around and sell things from my house outside to my friends. I was very outgoing, I was very social, but I also kept to myself a lot. And um, people just didn't know the real me. I would always have a smile on my face. Anyone ask me now, like uh, they see me now, they're saying, oh, she's still the same. It's just her confidence has gone up. That's really it. Um, So that's kind of how my childhood went, just a blur. And I didn't have the best childhood growing up. I had a lot of problems going around in my life. Um, again, because I was the oldest, I was taking care of my siblings. I was pretty much their mother as well, their father as well. My father wasn't really working. My mom was the one providing for us, but it was through government support. Um, and every time I went to school, um, every time I had lunch, every time I did anything really, I would just kind of stick around with the people that I felt most comfortable with. I always felt uncomfortable around like the people that had so much like uh, like lunch money, they're going in the cafeteria, even things like that, that. That would always like make me feel like, okay, I don't know if I want to be around those people. So I just stick to my own crew type of thing. I just stick to my own uh, my own people. So I was very lucky with that. I did go to a very diverse school, and I grew up I grew up like that with a lot of people from the similar culture, similar community as me. But I still felt like you know, no one really knew me. No one really knew what I was going through. That was kind of my childhood. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's I know it can be very difficult and challenging to even explain it to people and for them to understand what you were going through. Uh, so you say until about 10 years old and things started to change. Could you tell me more about what started to happen? So up until 10, I was just being myself. I would come home, go to school. My parents were mostly taking care of me. After 10 years old, I started my first job. I was working at my dad's restaurant. And um, that lasted for about four years. Um, I wasn't getting paid or anything like that, but I was working there and I was trying to support as much as possible. So I was doing a lot of things that a 10 year old shouldn't be doing. So I'd come home from from work and I would go to make food in the kitchen um, or I would go and start uh, cleaning the whole house at 10 years old in Canada and I didn't, after that, I started to shy away from my friends. People started to see me different. I started hanging around with them less. And I just started to, you know, really start getting into uh, crafts and making crafts and then selling them. And again, it was all because of income. I, I just wanted to start providing for my family at the age of 10. And I remember just walking to school, walking to work. I think it was like almost 20, 30 minute walk alone. Sometimes I would walk all the way and all the way back. And that was just when things started to, I didn't realize it. I thought, I thought this is my duty. This is what I had to do. But of course, as a 10 year old going on to 14, you don't 
you don't see those problems until after. So I think that was the first thing that happened. And during that time, I was going through a lot of abuse. My siblings were going through a lot of that as well. My mother, I was watching her go through a lot of struggles financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, every possible way. But we were quiet. We didn't say anything. And yeah, I just kept going to school, going to work and doing those things and keeping everything quiet, all the screams, all the shouting, everything. And I think when I was 14 or 14 or 15, you go uh, like around 13, 14, you're in grade nine, you go to high school. So during high school, things started changing again. And I had a little bit more friends, but I still just I wanted to finish high school really quickly. I wanted to get everything done fast. And I, funny enough, I actually finished high school in three years and it was supposed to be four years uh, degree or diploma. And I did all that because of just running, running to kind of secure uh, this financial burden, like take off the financial burden off my family because my father wasn't doing so. My family wasn't being supported and we lived in government housing. We paid, believe it or not, I think at that time we were paying $300 a month. That's how bad our, our situation was financially. Where and, and, you know, this is the first time I'm talking about this, telling people that when people hear me, they wouldn't even believe that I was paying $300 a month for rent. And that was from government housing. And that was 19 years of my life like that. And um, at that time, we were that poor that we couldn't even afford that sometimes. But yeah, things took a big turn. Um, every time I said, oh, you know, things are getting better, things are getting better. Things kept getting more and more dramatic, more and more crazy. But I think, you know, from that time, from 10 till now, or from 10 till when I became a teenager, it was just working and just not really focusing on me being a child, just me just becoming an adult from then. Mm -hmm. And in a way, what made you feel trapped at home? Because in a way, it also feels like it's hard to leave, right? But in your experience, what was it that made you feel like you guys can't leave? So it was more so the like mental and emotional abuse as where are we going to go? Because um, we don't know where we're going to go. We don't have any family here. My mom has no family here. She has no friends here. Um, we weren't allowed to socialize or bring friends over or bring anyone over, really. And anytime we did, it was always in school. And we would come home before 5 p.m. Like, we weren't even allowed in after-school programs and things like that that kids would go to. Or sports was never a question because that was past uh, school hours. So any any socialization past um, school alone was not allowed. And so that's what, like as a kid, when you see everybody else going to basketball, tryout, soccer, things like that, like you're you want to do those things, but you can't. And and my siblings were also not allowed to do the same. So all of us were in the same boat. And also sharing a room played a big part, too, because us living in three bedrooms, my mom, my dad, two of my siblings in one and the other two in the other one. Um, I think none of us had our own privacy. None of us could vent our feelings. Everyone was going through similar things, but in a different way. And that all contributed to a lot of like temperament issues with me, with my siblings. Um, you know, we were always frustrated. We were always upset. We were always like emotionally like burnt out. And we would keep that in our home, but we couldn't say anything. So you, we couldn't let our feelings out. We couldn't cry. We couldn't be angry. We couldn't let anything out except when we went to school. And during school, nobody could know because no one would understand. So it's just bubbling up throughout my whole childhood. And those the, all that just led to that feeling of being trapped, not being able to leave 
And I think also my mom, I didn't want her to go through like, where was she going to go? Her her husband is her only support. We are her only support. So we just we just stuck it through. And despite everything, despite all the hospitalization, despite everything. Yeah. And that persisted, in my understanding, even until university? Until I was 19. So I think second year of university, mm-hmm. all the way until then, I was still living at home in that same place my whole life. Um, and in second year uh, is when, um, like, one of my siblings decided to, like, leave the home. And it was because her project was ripped apart. And because of that, like, she didn't feel safe going home. None of us felt safe. So I supported her. And then my rest of my family had followed because it wasn't safe to stay at home. And we didn't know where to go. I literally, quite literally, stayed in the library of my university with my sibling and my mom was uh, like looking for a place with my other two siblings. So we were split up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time that we had ever left the house, I think past 5 PM probably um, was without my dad there. And, <laughs> and even when I was in university, I would come home like 7 PM, like 8 PM. And at that time I didn't have clinicals that were late. They always finished around like six, five, like mostly eight hours. So I would always still come home early every day so it was the first time I was out late outside of my house and I was so confused my siblings were so confused but I just was like okay now I got to figure out this situation because I'm the oldest here my mom's not in the right mental space so I was kind of taking on that burden mm-hmm. and what do you think at that instant made you do that big change and big transition all of a sudden so that's the thing the last thing that I had said to my father was do you need anything and the last phone call that I had done that whole week was to my sister saying that, oh, your project is ripped. Now, I wasn't planning on any of this. Now, my entire family didn't plan it. I The things that I brought with me to school that day was the only things I had for that whole week. Um, and so what happened was just the intense fear of what's going to happen next if we go home. We knew things were getting worse, like as a ch- from childhood till when we were getting older, Um, I don't know if it was because we were becoming more and more outspoken or because we were just coming home later and later than usual. But things were getting more physically abusive, more emotionally unavailable. And when you have homework, you're not able to study past 10 p.m. All those things that bubbles up inside you. And I think that's why we were just like, well, now I'm scared what he's going to do. So and more so, I was afraid of my sister's safety because she was so afraid to go home and say, I'm not going to leave her alone. And I think that's what happened the way that it, the way that it unfolded. And my mom was not going to leave us outside alone. So she had left as well. So it was very unplanned, unprepared for uh, uh, like, but if it didn't happen that way, I personally don't think that it would have happened. And during that time, you guys spent the night alone. You spent it alone for a while after that. Am I correct? Yeah. So for one month, Uh, The first week I was just staying in the libraries, Uh, it was exam time. So the libraries were open 24 hours and I did uh, stay in the student association office for like two days. Then I did ask help from my school. They gave me, uh, because of my grades, they gave me an emergency funding release in advance, two months in advance. And that amount was uh, used for a hotel stay for one week. So the first week we were in libraries, everything. The second week I was with my mom, I reunited with her and uh, my other two siblings, and we stayed in a hotel for a week. The money was only 1500 and that doesn't last a long time. So it was done after that week. And then uh, there I stayed in a couple of friends' houses, but he found us there too, and it wasn't safe. We didn't feel safe. And then from there, we started our search for shelters. 
And during this whole time, we were on the search. We were calling shelters. It was November of 2019 until December of 2019. So again, exam time, winter time, and everything was pretty much when it's winter, more people are using shelters. It's just how it is. People are are not able to find a place to live. So one month we were just looking for shelters. The way that it happened when we went to the shelter was we brought all our stuff with us from everywhere. All five of us stood outside the shelter and we said, we're not going to go. We're not leaving because we have nowhere to go. And that was our last drop. So this was December 5th, 2019 or so. And I said, I didn't go anywhere either. I just stood there and they had no choice but to let us in. And we stayed in the kitchen. Uh, after that, we we were moved. We were told to leave every day from that day onwards. But they had they because no other shelters were accepting us. Um, they had no option but to keep us there. And then COVID happened. And then we were there, like extended. I got hospitalized for about a month. And then from there, it just extended for about nine months. Normally in the shelter system, you can only stay for one month. But because of the situation, it was winter, there wasn't any other domestic abuse women's shelters. Um, we needed the highest security possible because our father was actively searching for us, which is why there's very limited shelters that can accommodate that. We don't, they don't want any other family, like anybody else in that shelter to become harmed. So that's why, like, you know, it was so difficult for us to find that. But then when we found the place, we were there for nine months. We just actively searched for place to live. And that was the hardest part of my life. I'll be honest, out of everything that I've been through, even the childhood abuse, even the mental abuse, that was a moment where every day I kept thinking, am I going to go back to my father? Is Am I going to go back? Are we going to go back to the apartment? What should we do? Because we weren't finding a place to live for nine full months of every single day. It felt like torture, getting needing to be kicked out of the shelter, but also not having a place to go. You're going there because you don't have a place to go, but that place is also telling you you need to leave. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, the government's not supporting. The system isn't working. Why are we slipping through the cracks? It's not safe for us outside. It's not safe for us anywhere. We have no family. And there's, we can't afford market rent. And then this is me. I finished my uh, second year of nursing like that. And then my third year of nursing had started. And that's when um, everything became a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very powerful how you describe it, slipping through the cracks, because I'm pretty sure that so many people end up slipping through the cracks. And like you described that the system is not perfect. And I was going to ask you, because you've gone through it firsthand and have experienced the whole homeless shelter system and all of that. What do you think about that experience? Did it open your eyes to more flaws in our system, more issues that need to be uncovered? See, this is something I've always wanted to talk about. But I just knew that because I've been silenced so, so much in my whole life, and because when we were finally becoming, uh, like, we had to learn how to become assertive, how to be, like, bold, how to speak up. We never spoke up in front of our dad. So when we had to learn how to speak up in front of the the, the government, we thought that it's easy. Like, we're just going to ask for help and we're going to receive it. But there were so much skills that I had to learn during that time. And I had to advocate for my family and for myself. And that was something that I had never done before. I was only financially like helping them like going doing things but silently but this was the first time that I as a 19 year old had to advocate for my family and I was not prepared for that the amount of phone calls the amount of emails the amount of rental applications the amount of times you had to stay in random meetings while I'm going through school that was all overwhelming to me and I didn't know how to prepare for it a normal 19 year old is not prepared for those kinds of things um and my siblings too like my uh 15 year old sister at the time she was 14 actually 
or thir- 13 actually. So she was also sitting in on meetings and explaining why she wants to stay in the shelter and why we can't find a place to live. And I just found it crazy how in this this whole in, in Ontario and everything and how we're all citizens, we all speak English, we're all born in Canada and we're having trouble finding a place to live. The five of us at this age, imagine everyone else in that shelter that that have young babies that can't go to work, that can't go to school. And all those other women that are just like they're just there and they they are going back to their their spouses, their husbands, their abusive families, because they actually don't see they don't feel the need to keep going, like pushing themselves forward. So I was surprised. 100%. I was disappointed. I was upset. I was very angry for a long time, but I had no one I could tell because it was like a telephone game. Every person would say, oh, did you talk to that person? That person would put the blame on another person and tell that that person to call another one. And then it was like, who am I supposed to ask for help? Everyone's telling me to ask each other. No one was actually helping. No one was actually listening. And every time we had to repeat our story. And that was the most hardest part because it's like, well, you guys don't believe us. Like, what is this? Like, I thought this is how it's supposed to work. We come here for help. And now you're telling us to do everything. It was kind of crazy. Um, There's so much that unfolded to me, like the way that the system was working and the way that it doesn't work as well. And the fact that it was happening with women and children was the most upsetting part because it's like, imagine the men that are homeless. Imagine everybody else, the, the women that are that don't have dependents. They are on the streets. They they are stuck there because they don't have shelter space. We're children, so they have to have like a little bit more emphasis on us, a little bit more protection on us. But still, it was we were still like you know not even allowed to enter the shelter for one month. And then when we were there, we're staying in the kitchen, staying here, and getting told to leave every day. So it was eye opening for sure. Yeah, it's definitely eye opening, and I think you don't really get to learn about it unless, unfortunately, you're experiencing it yourself. Because I remember I knew someone who I wanted to help out, and they had a problem with drug related stuff, and we were seeking mental support. We were trying to get therapy, trying to find counseling, something like that, and you know, financials were a problem with that issue too, and it was so hard. Uh, you'd, you'd call one person they'll tell you oh did you try this maybe try yeah. that one too and you yeah. go again and call them and they reference you back or refer you back to the same person you called initially and you're like okay exactly. what the heck am I supposed to do like exactly and they say it's this perfect system but it's so far yeah. away from perfect very flawed and um speaking of the like the first person again if you were in the shelter like the shelter, the first shelter you called is the one you're supposed to call back again. And sometimes they don't even answer their calls. They have you on hold. And sometimes we'd be doing these calls at the bottom of McDonald's, Tim Hortons, like random places. And it wasn't, the good thing was that I was in school. So I asked help from school and the student financial aid officer, she was also calling shelters for my family. That many people helping one family and still there was not enough, uh, like it still took us this long just to get out of the system. And we made it out of our system on our own because we had to pay market rent, which is about $2,400. So going from $300 a month to $2,400 in a brand new city. Mm-hmm. Right before that, actually, we did a shelter to shelter switch because they said there's no option. You have to leave um, because uh, because of that, like we stayed in a new city for about one month. We went from we moved cities and there was no option. They wouldn't let us stay there anymore. And then from that shelter, they said, okay, you're going to have to move to market rent. They didn't let us stay more than a month. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started the three jobs. That's why I started working three jobs while I was in third year of nursing. 
um, look, doing PSW jobs, doing cleaning and other stuff. Um, and just to start supporting my family so I can pay rent. But there was no government or subsidized housing. We were at the top of the list. I think we were the fourth in priority. So it's like refugees, uh, people who go through domestic abuse. We were like the top four, but still they said it could be five to 10 years of a wait list for government housing. So that's when people don't realize, they think, oh, you go to a shelter, you find government housing. No, we went from $300 to $2,400 a month. And from there we moved four times. So we actually just recently moved to this place last month. So we moved four times from then. So it was like, we still went, still going through it, even after the shelter system, even after everything. And it's crazy how you say 10 years, like God knows what's going to happen in 10 years. I might, yeah. not, I might not even be here. <laughs> exactly. And if I was not in school, if I didn't, ha- if I wasn't on healthcare, how would I get those jobs? And my mom, she didn't have a job. My siblings were too young for work. So because we were lucky enough to be at the age that we were, I was able to get the market rent. But what about all those women that still can't? That's why you see so many women going back to their families and everything. And I, it was crazy how I was thinking about those women, despite me going through everything that I was going through. And I think it was because being the older, well, eldest in the family, you're just naturally always thinking about others. And, you know, me thinking about my siblings, I thought my situation isn't as bad as that lady, my neighbor. I still remember she was there for about one year and a half, but then they just, she keeps going back. She keeps going back to her abuser. So yeah, all those things really just made, took a huge toll into the way my life was turning, the way I was seeing things. Cause you know, I was just focusing on school. I said, I want to do these, this and this when I grow up. But then my whole plan was like, while I was in nursing school, everything was falling apart and going into uh, different ways, different directions. Mm-hmm. And they're all probably unexpected in so many ways, but exactly. yeah. So I want to go back a little bit uh, and ask you, what made you decide to pursue nursing? So with nursing, um, I did a co-op in my, uh, so I did uh, graduate in three years and then I did a co-op. So I came back to high school to do a four, uh, four credit co-op and it was in healthcare field. And you're able to job shadow nurses, doctors um, and environmental aides and everything like that. And so I was able to see how nurses are. And my siblings, um, as I was growing up as well, my sister, she was also sick. And I also had a congenital heart condition. So I was also sick in hospital and I do see how nurses take care of patients. So when I did do the co-op, everything, I, I asked a lot of questions to the healthcare professionals and I saw the interaction nurses had with patients and it was what I wanted to do. I wanted to engross myself into their situation, into helping these patients at the bedside rather than my other option was going into becoming a doctor. I got accepted into kin life sciences and nursing, but my ultimate factor was the patient interaction. I wanted to have more time with patients and I wanted to be able to be mobile. So with with uh, becoming a doctor, I knew I had to spend X amount of years, you know, studying it, pursuing it. And I may or may not like be able to move around, travel around. With nursing, I could do it anywhere, anytime, anyhow, um, for however long I want. So that was another thing. And I just always used to ask questions to other nursing students, to people in kin, people in life sciences, and it just formed my uh, like decision from there. But honestly, I think if I didn't choose nursing, I wouldn't be where I am today because after four years of life science or kinesiology, you still need to go to med school. But if I had not graduated in nursing and getting a nursing job, then I wouldn't be able to afford the rent that I'm paying right now, which is 3000 a month, um, which is even crazier. It's not even a fancy, amazing, crazy place, but it's just how market rent is in Canada these days. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. And what was your, well, I, you did ex- describe how your time studying nursing was very difficult with all of what was going on. Uh, it was also COVID time. Yes. So I'm sure <laughs> you've gone through a lot of things, even by transitioning from nursing school to actually being a nurse. So could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So of course, second year, 2019, um, and then 2020 was um, third year of my nursing degree. And people say third year is the hardest year. I personally believe that, yes, it is, because that's when you're doing clinicals and clinicals, you can go twice a week and you're not getting paid and you go for 12 hours a day. And that's where you're getting experience. Now you can wake up at odd hours of the night and I didn't have a car. I couldn't drive and I had to bus. So I would go bus to clinical maybe uh, because I was living in another city. Clinicals would be in another city. So I would take one or two, one hours or two hours earlier. I would wake up to bus for another hour from Hamilton to Mississauga, Mississauga to Hamilton and back and, you know, doing night shifts, day shifts. That was, that was like something I had to do. And then on top of that, I was studying and then COVID happened. So I couldn't even go study in libraries. So I didn't even have the ability to, you know, to kind of, let's just say, find a, find a way to have a mental, like a place to sit so I can just sit and study. I didn't have that. I was just always on the run back and forth, back and forth. And during my time in the shelter as well, so again, I was in there for nine months, the first half of the the first half of third year where I was doing clinicals, I was in the shelter, there was no internet, COVID happened. So until March, March of 2020, right, that's when COVID happened, and everything started shutting down. And because there was no internet in in the shelter, and because they're not letting you go outside past 8pm, there's a lockdown and everything. And McDonald's, Tim Hortons, everything was closed. I would literally just sit outside and sit downstairs where the where the like drive through is and hope no one catches me to do assignments sometimes because there was Wi-Fi there. Or I would find a Starbucks that's still open, but not, of course, doors are closed. You can't enter. And I would sit in the cold like that and do a lot of assignments like that. And that was also one of the hardest parts of my life because, again, in third year, I had six courses and I had clinicals and had so many other things and nobody knew. My school, uh, the only person that knew was the one who was helping me financially um, or trying to find the shelters. But after that, I didn't really have that kind of support from then. So, yeah, it became really tough during COVID. And it also became tough to find a job because everybody was looking for a job. Everyone was like looking for a way, you know, but that was kind of those years. And that went on for two years and I graduated during COVID. So... (laughs) So that 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 was an experience online. I don't know if online was better or worse for me for the classes part, maybe because I didn't have the Internet. I couldn't go to libraries. I couldn't go study where I normally study. I had to be surrounding myself around an environment where I didn't want to be surrounding myself with. So the one hour or two hours that you do have Internet, which is in the family common space in the shelter. Sometimes I was forced to just use that because I couldn't even go outside. If I did leave past curfew hours, I couldn't come back up inside, right? So during that time, like, it's not a place where you can sit and do Zoom calls. And so sometimes I was forced to do those things. So it was tough, but we we just kept going. I was trying to ignore everything around me. One thing that helped was knowing that when I was in, uh, like, when I was growing up, I was living with my dad and it was kind of similar where we were trapped. The shelter felt like the same trapped system which is crazy because it's supposed to help you break free from that. Mm-hmm. So so I think because I was used to that feeling of being trapped and, and studying in an uncomfortable environment, I I just kept going like that. 
I also talk about how you no one know knew about what you were going through during your time at school. Do you think like your instructors were somewhat understanding your peers? What was that system like for you? So third year, I didn't have much support. My fourth year, I had no option, but I had to go ask for like I went to the student disability office. I asked for extra time on assignments. I asked for a lot of things and I finally became comfortable with asking for those things. I still didn't. My peers still didn't know what I was going through. They still, uh, you know, would just see that I'm going to clinical coming back. They like I remember one time I didn't even have my scrubs because with the laundry, we couldn't use the laundry at the shelter. But um, they they didn't really ask questions like that. But during that time. I just knew that I had, if I had opened up, maybe I wouldn't be able to keep going. I didn't want pity. I just wanted to finish. I just wanted to get these things done. And yeah, there wasn't, there was support in terms of that one person that those two people that were helping me in, in the school, some professors, like that sometimes I had no option, but to say that, listen, like I'm not in an environment where I can open up zoom my camera for attendance. So I did lose marks here and there from that. But aside from that, like if I needed extensions on assignments and things like that, nursing is a very strict, strict program. They didn't really they don't really have that kind of flexibility. So I had to be very, very, very like good with my time management and avoid that as much as possible. Yeah, I also like how you highlighted that you didn't want pity. I think that's very important. I think that's the reason why a lot of people refuse to share the difficult things that they are going through, because that's the first reaction you get from people. And I think it's listening about about these things and like caring about them is very important for, for also people to realize how to react to something like this when their friend or their classmate comes to them or they yeah. find out that their classmate is going through something like this. Yeah. And the crazy thing is in my first year, I heard about this nursing student that finished her full three years of nursing while she was living in a car. And I thought it was so unbelievable. And who knew that two years later I was going to be living like in a homeless shelter while I'm doing nursing. So it's very, these two stories, when you hear it from others, sometimes it's almost like unbelievable until you experience something or similar yourself or someone you know. And then it's like, wow, like this world isn't as glorious as it seems. And people are really going through a lot and still pushing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very easy to, when you hear about them, be like, oh, like I would do this, I would do that if I were in this person's shoe. But then when you real when you become that person, you realize that no, it does not work that way. Exactly. Now, one thing I do want to highlight during this entire time, my mental health was terrible. A lot of people saw like my whole journey of nursing, like, wow, we're, we're so inspired by your journey and everything. And they saw that I did it. But no one knew how bad my mental health got, how many days I wanted to quit, how many times I'm like, why am I even like, even my own uh, advising, like the guidance counselor, I don't know what they're called anymore. Academic advisor, I think, right? They were telling me go part time in school. Everyone around me, the whole world was telling me to stop. And I was, I had to force myself to keep going every day. But it comes a point where you're already going through, at that point, I didn't know I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety. In third year, I did ask for healthcare advice because I had I had a lot of problems, fainting, seizing, a lot of stress-related issues, and I had heart problems as well. So I had to go to the doctor, and I was diagnosed with uh, de- depression and anxiety, and I was going through all that as a as a nursing student while I'm in in nursing school. So there's so many days I wanted to quit, so many days where I was just like I don't want to live anymore, so many days where I just thought like I can't do this. Why am I? I shouldn't be dealing with this as a 19 year old, 20 year old, 21 year old. 
if I can't find a place, I'll just go live on the street. Like I'll just give up. I'll just work as a chef for the rest of my, I'll just do something. But it didn't, it didn't happen that way because I, I slowly, slowly, slowly started to, you know, see the progress was happening. I took it day by day and I slowly let people into my life telling them like, as things got worse, I was forced to kind of let people know. And those people were the ones that checking up on me, making sure I'm okay. Um, and things like that. So I would say support is, was very crucial during that time. As much as it was easy for people to see that, oh, she did it. It was very difficult to go through that period. Yeah. And that, I think that's also the hard part, hard part too, because when you lay it out like this, you tell me where you started and where you ended. It looks like you're this amazing person, which you really are, and you're really strong. But the details and the nuances of that whole experience changes things. And exactly. I'm sure you've gone through so much that no one can ever imagine. And you know those emotions that you've experienced, those hardships are also a really important part of the whole journey. Yeah. I, I always say this, that no one wants to see your sad story. They want to see your success story. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like even after I graduated, six months later was when I think the first news article was posted about me. And that was randomly from Twitter. And other than that, a lot of my nursing friends still didn't know, even after I graduated, that that had all happened. And so everybody was like congratulating me for something that I had done. And it was like, I was just at that time, I think when I was going through it, I didn't even think about it. But then once I graduated, I realized that what? Like what just happened? Everything was just survival mode from day one. And then when it finished, I was like, okay, this this happened. But nursing school was is tough for anyone. And I wouldn't blame a single person, anyone, if they had what they went through and they didn't accomplish what they, they wanted to do, if they needed to take time off, if they're there, they needed to uh, you know, go to work instead of study, all of these things that's that is something that you you should not make yourself put put yourself down for because again what I went through was very specific to me and the way I handled it was very specific to me but not like you shouldn't put yourself down if you are going through something like this and you are seeing like oh um how come she did and I can't everyone's situation different I'll give an example of my siblings they still haven't completed high, uh, high school she completed after five years instead of four that's my younger sister. And the other sister, she's uh, decided not to go pursue school at all. So within my own family, everyone's dealing with this whole situation differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that hopefully, you know, can help a lot of people realize that, you know, don't put yourself down for anything. Yeah, And to never compare your own experiences with someone else's because just because they were not hard for someone else does not mean that they shouldn't be hard for you and the other mm-hmm. way around. Yeah. So going into nursing itself and actually working as a nurse, what was that experience like for you? I think because my whole life was like survival, adrenaline and everything, nursing was chaotic like that. And I decided to choose uh, the field emergency department, which is even more adrenaline, even more uh, uh, survival mode type of instinct. Uh, I decided to pursue that field. I loved it because I was so used to it. But what I didn't realize was the mental burnout. I worked during COVID. And I also graduated during COVID. So in the emergency department, treating COVID patients, treating like the amount of staffing shortages, the amount of there's this is the whole topic I could talk about altogether. But there was so much going on. And as a brand new nurse, I was like, where is the support? Like, where is the orientation? Where's everything? Like everything was all over the place. Being a student versus being a nurse, it was like, again, going from being that 10 year old child um, that had to start work 
at, for the first time, not knowing what to do, not getting any type of thing, that same feeling I had again. So there are days where I doubted if I could continue. And, you know, there are days that I had called in sick so many times I wasn't scared I'm going to lose my job. So many times that I didn't even call in. I was just like, I gave up. Like my, my mental health, everything started catching up to me. All those four years of school that I did, the amount of stress that I put myself through and everything, it all started catching up to me at that time. And this is something that nobody knows that during nursing was, again, another really hard part of my life where every day I was like, that's okay. I made it. I became a nurse. Now I'm just going to sit and do nothing. Like people would not imagine me saying this, but that is what I was feeling like. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit and absolutely do nothing because I don't want to do anything anymore. I'm so burnt out from work. I'm so burnt out from my life. I'm so burnt out from everything. And I kind of put myself in a victim mentality where I'm like, oh, you know, like I I went through all this, so I don't have to do anything anymore. And I had to get myself out of that. It took me a while to get myself out of it. But I think just, just needing to financially support my family, it, it kind of pushed me to keep going. But it was it was uh, it was a whirlwind of emotions for sure. It's also interesting how you bring the, the whole part about that's what you were used to being like raised and growing up, and so to you it was very familiar, and it was what you have been experiencing for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. and I would never expect that my childhood would shape like what kind of job I'm pursuing, what kind of like even the fact that I want to go into emergency all those things like i wouldn't expect my stressors my ta- my pain and my traumas to impact who i am now but now i'm looking through it taking the time reflecting and realizing that wow like every single step of my life it was just like the continuation of my childhood which is crazy and how long did you do nursing for um so i'm still doing nursing i took a break for uh, about 4 months 5 months which is when i started traveling and um, I did nursing for about a year. I'm still doing. It. I'm gonna go back into it in, in in a couple of weeks again. But yeah, about one year like that. And also from me doing my research, I know you've worked on other initiatives as well. Could you tell me a little bit about those kinds of things and what inspired you to take that direction? Yeah. So of course, like. The main thing was now I was I had an income from nursing and I was making about three grand a month. But again, I don't know if you remember, my rent was also three grand a month. So I decided to work like because I was so burnt out because first I was working in COVID. I was working in a, like intense unit. I was a new grad nurse and I was working three jobs even as a nurse. So that's all those things burnt me out. So I was looking for a way to make more income without having to kind of work three jobs because I was doing that as a student, I was doing that as I graduated. So I said, what was the difference? Now I'm done. Like that was also what was contributing to like my poor mental health and everything. So I just started looking into ways that I can make money from home. And from there, I I said, okay, this is like, this is an opportunity for me. I did a lot of research and I decided to create a business. And I knew that starting a business will allow me to have more, like take off some load off my shoulders where I can actually sit at home be at peace, give some me time for this, for just myself, go out with my friends. And I didn't know what kind of business, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just did my research about it. And I realized everything needed money, every single type of business I want, like you want to start properties, dropshipping, Amazon, it all needed money, except for what I was looking into, which was trading and investing, which is where you use your income to make more income. So that's when I got into that whole world and that field. 
And I also started TikTok during that time. And that was more of a self-care thing. I was giving people advice about nursing, about uh, everything. And that time I, I met a lot of people. I started networking from there. And that really, really helped boost my self-esteem. And that helped me get out of survival mode and just live. And I think that's what helped shape my business when I started Salam Girls. And now Salam Girls happened. And the reason why I started was I remembered my experiences in the domestic abuse shelter. And I realized when I started making money from home and taking that time off from, from nursing, um, if I can do it with no experience, anyone can do it which is exactly what reminded me of, okay, now I might have a solution for all those women that are living in the domestic abuse shelters, even my mom. And the first person I tested out was my mom because she didn't have a job. So I just decided to teach her and help her out and everything. And that's kind of where that went. And then I realized that, wow, my entire experience that I went through, the homeless shelter and everything, all of that can really help me help these other women. And maybe I went through that for a reason. You know, maybe I went through that so I can actually help these people that have no options. So that's when I got into the whole coaching world. I got into the business world, the investing trading world. And that's when I started traveling through the income that I was making from from those activities. And I was making way more. And I was able to actually like give myself, like buy myself things, help my family out, like do a lot of things I wanted to do and um, just pursue that business way more full time without working. But nursing is still always going to be a passion of mine. And I still want to open a clinic. I still want to do my master's, still want to become a nurse practitioner. But I think I really needed that break. I think I really needed to see that there's other opportunities out there. And this was an eye opener for me because I realized those women, they didn't need to go to school for this. They can do this without education. So it was amazing to see that unfold Mm -hmm. the way it did. And I think it's very cool to see how you don't really have to stick to just one thing. There's so many things that you could explore and learn from and even like build your own community and support system that you might not necessarily have earlier on in your life. Exactly. Exactly. That's the main thing. Um, helping out these women and being able to be a voice for the voiceless as well. Talking about my experiences, enabling them to take control of their future. They don't have to put themselves. They don't have to trap themselves more. They can get out. They can break the cycle. They can learn to advocate. A lot of these women, they didn't have a voice even in the shelters. That's why they would always go back. But now this is something I'm very passionate about with Salam Girls is because a lot of these women, they can break out from it. They can uh, end those this generational curses, the cycle of abuse and everything that comes with it. Um, so just being able to do it myself, being able to help my family, now I'm able to give back. It's a very like a very rewarding feeling. When I was a kid, I used to volunteer as well. I think that also helped shape the nonprofit mentality that I had, the giving back mentality. Um, I used to volunteer a lot. I think I did 500 hours in high school. And then as I was in university, I was participating in other extracurricular clubs. I even founded um, a congenital heart disease club because I want to raise awareness for that. So, you know, while I was going through nursing, that also helped me as well, as well which was focusing on extracurriculars. And people thought I was crazy. Um, because they're like, well, you're already studying, working full time, you're studying full time, and you're doing extracurriculars. You need to take some type of burden off yourself. Actually, my doctor thought I was crazy <laughs> because uh, she was the only one that really knew, and my best friend. But but I I just thought of it like, no, 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 I'm helping these people. That's why I think Salam Girls like it really founded from that because I always had that within me where I really felt the need. Not the mentality of oh traveling the world that I would never fathom, but the mentality of wanting to give back. I didn't know how, but it just kind of unfolded the way it did. Yeah. And, you know, your own personal experiences playing a role in how you choose to give back to the people around you. 
Exactly. Yeah. I want to touch on something that you mentioned briefly earlier. You said in a way social media was your outlet. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is like a little bit controversial for some people, but social media was because I I was always quiet my whole life. I would been, I wasn't even allowed to open Instagram or anything. Um, When I finally did break free and when I finally decided, why am I afraid to like uh, have a public account? Why am I afraid to not like share my experiences? The, The minute that my article was published about what I went through, about four months after that, I decided to make my first public TikTok, my first public Instagram and everything. So, you know, I didn't have that before. Um, the reason why they knew about that article was because of Twitter. And I only had 100 followers. So it just went really just went viral like that. But um, social media, I said, well, if this is helping inspire a lot of people, my friends are messaging me, telling me, oh, um, you know, I went through this and this. And I, I wish we knew like we could have helped each other through it. I said, wow, like just me opening up about my experience helped a lot of other people open up about their experiences. So social media, it let me forget about my existing problems and and like help others with their problems. I don't know if it was a distraction mechanism for me not wanting to go through my own problems, but it also allowed me to feel better about everything that I went through because I said, this is a way of me giving back. So social media helped a lot in terms of that and just strengthening that. And it also allowed me to find and help those women that really don't have nobody to ask help for uh, within Salam Girls. So like even the women that don't have help with domestic abuse and even just guiding them to that they know that there's a shelter, that they know these things, small things like that. There are quite a lot of women that are in the program where they are going through homelessness. And, you know, being able to just use my experience that I had from then, oh, you can do this and this and this, it helps. I find it very interesting because in an earlier episode, we talk about how social media is like a bad thing. Um, So, no, it's very important to recognize that it could be a double-edged sword and you can choose to use it the way you could benefit from it the most. And you chose it to be as your outlet and, you know, it worked and that's a really great thing. And to recognize that it could be a great thing if you want it to be. One thing is don't keep it within you. Like if you have something, seek the help, seek the support, go ask, uh, go reach out and find others to help you find others to support you. And if you have the ability to support others, go for it, go do that. But you won't know until you speak up again. Mm -hmm. Women are silenced so much in their lives, not just women, like people are silenced all their lives. And when you do go through abuse, again, you're silenced all your life. So being able to speak up slowly, slowly, slowly will help heal you a lot. And it helped heal me a lot as well. And and it made me realize that if maybe I am strong enough to talk about this on social media, but somebody isn't, but they can use my strength and one day they'll be able to do the same. One day they'll be able to speak up and inspire others too. So just hope starting to break that cycle. I 100% agree with you. And thank you so much for opening up about your experience. It's very important. And I really appreciate that you are able to do that. I think it will help a lot of people. Uh, Now that we've talked a little bit about what it's been like for you, I want to ask you, who do you think your biggest influences have been so far? Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, growing up, because I was kind of stuck in this cycle of abuse where I wasn't allowed to have this much socialization, interaction and everything, and social media was not a big thing for me, I didn't really have an influence or someone that I was looking up to. I was just really upset with my life and I really wanted to get out of my current situation. I couldn't even think big. I couldn't even think of big dreams, big goals, big aspirations, because all I could think about was I have to go to work. I have to come to school. Maybe one day I want to do this. 
um, and I would work towards it. I wasn't sure if I was going to be allowed to go to nursing or do any of these things, but I just kept working towards it. But I never really had a big influence. And I think it's more so because of the fact when you go through something so difficult or you go through like constantly, you're trying to just survive, you start to think other people in this world, why did they have it so easy? You start to see others as a way, like, uh, like their lives are exactly what it shows on social media. Their lives are exactly what it is. They're, they're a public speaker, but uh, they didn't go through anything. You know, you, it's almost unbelievable. The stories they say, it's almost unbelievable. The the lives that they're like, saying, because it's like, they're so, they're so up there. So I didn't like anything related to social media as a kid which is funny because now I'm doing that I didn't like any uh, I didn't have any type of role models at all all I could think about was how do I survive another day and this is something that is very important like I think that question is very important because like a lot of people they don't have influences they don't think outside the box and I think that's why the cycle of poverty sometimes never ends because if you don't have that willpower within you to keep going then how are you going to achieve the big things that you want to do you won't especially if you don't see someone if you don't look up to someone I didn't really have one but as I like now I do I have like people that I look up to I take inspiration from a lot of different people I see people who do what I do now and I use I take inspiration from that as well. But that only happened like within the past two years. This whole the whole other time I was just thinking, how do I survive? Maybe let's talk a little bit about this from the perspective of your younger siblings. How do you think they felt about this whole experience and like the kinds of people that they were looking up to versus now as they continue to grow and you being the oldest supporting them? I think my siblings, for them, they kind of saw me as the perfect person where I was kind of like doing everything. And I spoke to them about this when I asked them like, okay, you know, like I did go through the same things you did, but how come, you know, you guys didn't graduate and how come you guys didn't, don't want to pursue school? How come you guys aren't doing like what you should be doing? And they just, they did open up to me. And I thought about this as well for quite some time. And I said, the thing is, they are still stuck in that cycle of use. They were they were still living and surviving through it. I had distractions with school. I had distractions with with um, my hope for hearts, with Salam Girls when I created Salam Girls. But when I took the time away from it and I stepped back and I said, wow, they survived through it. And day by day, they were living through the experience. I was living through it too, but I had distractions. So they they saw me like as I'm somehow miraculously doing it and they couldn't see themselves doing it too. They couldn't see themselves in those shoes. And that was what I thought. It's the same thing when I was trying to think of um, who was my biggest influence for me. I didn't have one because I I could, I just thought I could never be that person. I can never reach that that level. And I think my siblings were in the same same boat. Thankfully, slowly, slowly, they're getting out of that. Um, it's just the way that our lives unfolded moving four times. Now we're in a stable place. Finally, I think now they're able to finally grow themselves. But yeah. That's the main thing. And how do you think you guys are working towards, you know, adapting to this whole new normal or new adjustment that you're going through right now together? For a long time, my mom wanted us to be together. And when you go through something like this, every single like there's four of us, there's five women in the house. Um, so all of us are going living through it differently. My mom's living through it with this. Her the abuser was her husband. My like forever. My me and my siblings was my dad. So our family dynamic was like one, like we were all angry at each other first, blaming each other, 
victimizing ourselves the one person's like i i remember i i used to say this and i feel bad about it i was like you know i'm going i'm doing a lot for you guys and i i i said that in my third and four in my third year of nursing during my fourth year i stopped because i realized that no everyone deals through things differently everyone deals through stress pain tolerance all these things differently um so i had stopped that and now our relationship is much stronger because we have an understanding that we didn't have before. And that's only because of the environment changing. It's only because now we're in a stable place. We're not trying to survive. We actually have the funds. We're all able to support each other. And we're actually able to listen to each other. Whereas before, we're just just like trying to figure out like, who, how are we going to survive another day? And I really admire how you just say that everyone's going through that same experience differently. And I think that's very interesting because like, each person has their own role within that situation. And it's very hard to, when you're in it, see someone else's perspective. Yeah, I think I'm honestly very proud of them. I'm very proud of every person that goes through something like this, but my siblings as well, because it's not, it's the amount of times that I wanted to give up. And I just wanted to just, I was hospitalized because of the stress of everything, but with them, like they didn't have that level of, that level of distractions and everything like that, that I had. And their age was different. 13 to 17, I think, 13 to 16, and then 15 to 19, and then 18 to 21. Like, so very different life. Like, they're going through high school, you know, mm-hmm. and different wants and needs and, you know, ways of thinking too. And socialization, not being able to socialize during COVID, not having friends during high school. Like, I can't even imagine that. And everybody else going to university, but not you, that feeling, that level of isolation. And it's like, it's all because like you blame yourself or you blame others or you blame society. All of that also comes into into play because I was already in uni- university. I wasn't really thinking of them like that. I didn't realize that way when I was in high school, I needed these and these things. This and this. Thing. Mm-hmm. And all of the uncertainty in it too, not knowing whether or not you'll be able to actually make those goals or dreams come true. Exactly. So many days when I woke up, I'm like, we're not going to find a place. Every day I would just like, sit and cry like am I going to find a place to live like how you know where are we going to are we going to have to go all the way to I think it was Belleville and Bowman but like these places very very far they wanted us to move like very far it's it's hard to see yourself out of that situation Mm -hmm. if you were to go back at any point in your life would you go back and what would you change I think the one thing I would change is the way that I was with my family when we were going through the situation that we were during the home, during the shelter, because I didn't really, we weren't really, like the only person I was communicating with was my mother. My siblings, they didn't have anyone to talk to. They didn't have that older sister because I didn't even have the time. So the one thing I would have changed, if anything, is just being able to really take some time to spend time with them and for myself, because I had no self-care, nothing. Like I didn't even go out. I did. I had no time for anything. I didn't even have time to eat. I didn't have time to go to the gym. Like nothing was uh, uh, anything that was supposed to be for me, like taking care of my health and everything. I wouldn't do. It wasn't until like, you know, things got very, very bad and all the way to the last minute that I would start taking care. So just taking that time to reflect during the moment and live through the moment. I wish I would have done. I wish I'd done that. And then moving forward, what would you say your biggest goal goal is or where would you see yourself going? Me, I'm... I've always been ambitious. I've always been like a go-getter. But I think now that I know that we're in a place where I'm comfortable, like 
an environment where I'm stable, I have an income, I can I can help others with it too. I see myself leaving a large impact worldwide. You know, that's, I always say like some girls changing the lives of women worldwide. That's the motto because that is something that I do see myself doing. And I want to help women in 70 different countries. And so far I've been to 15 and I want to help even more like places like even like uh, Slovenia, like Paraguay, all these places that we like not really talked about. There's women there. Like imagine if the system in Canada is kind of like not that good, even though it's supposed to be a social social justice system and everything. Imagine those countries. So I want to really be able to help women there because they're definitely most definitely may not be having the best situation possible. So so leaving that impact, being able to help these women become independent and also being able to just advocate and help like inspire others to advocate as well. I don't want to be the only person talking about this. I want a lot of other women to speak up, open up, share each other's experiences, talk about the relationship issues, talk about, you know, the childhood abuse that they went through, talk about what it's left behind, talk about your your um like their achievements as well and be and be confident with themselves. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that whole building the community it goes back to having that community for support and for having just that community creates that safe space for you to open up and to not feel alone in the experiences that you're going through. Being mindful of the time, uh, I do want to wrap up the interview very soon, just so you know, it's been an hour. I do want to ask you though, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't touch up on? One thing I would say is like growing up, it goes back to this question where who was your biggest influence? People who are listening to this, people who are watching this, Again, you may see someone as an inf- like a role model to you. You may see someone as an inspiration to you. And if you are lucky enough to have someone like that, always remember that each person's journey, each person's struggle is their own. And don't compare yourself to the point where you make yourself feel bad that, oh, why couldn't you do the same? It goes back to my point where my with my siblings. With me, I was able to do this and this, this in this amount of time. However, with my siblings, they're still going through it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because you're still going to get to that final destination where you want to go. You're still going to be able to do those things as long as you don't give up, as long as you keep going and take the time to really focus on you and heal yourself. And just social media is one of those things that, again, like you said, it's a double-edged sword on uh, like online and everywhere you look. It may look like everyone has their whole entire life put together. Everything is looks amazing, flashy. You know, they've been through the, they may maybe been through hardship, but their life is amazing now. But you don't know if their life is actually still going through, like they're still going through that. People didn't know after homelessness, I moved four times. People don't know that. People don't know how much I'm paying rent. People don't know like the amount of times I want to quit, you know, my job and things like that. There's still always going to be struggles in your life. So don't compare yourself with, you know, thinking that, you know, this person has everything and you don't because you're going to be that person one day you're going to be that person where you are inspiring others you can dream big even if you come from a place where you were never allowed to do that even if you were trapped you can get out you can get out of this cycle of abuse you can inspire others you can have you can be a voice for the voiceless you can do all these things but as long as you don't compare yourself i think that's the best thing because i didn't have that like the person that I was looking up to, I never made myself feel bad about the progress I was going at. I never made myself feel um, like, oh, like, how come this person is doing this and I'm not? I was competitive, but I tried my best to only focus on me, which is why I am where I am today, which I believe is the reason why. When you're always thinking, if you're consuming too much social media, 
and you're not posting or if you are always watching others lives and you're not focusing on your own life then of course you're not going to be able to do the things you want to do And that wraps up our episode for today. I really hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where you'll be the first to know when each episode is released. It would also mean the world if you could leave a rate and a review. You can also feel free to follow on Instagram at htdipodcast or send me an email at htdipodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys in the next one. 